I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living on Dakota and Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis. And I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, a writer, student of miracles and love, emergent strategist and pleasure activist living in the land of the Lumbee peoples, currently known as Durham. And this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. We have two siblings who are beloved, beloved, beloved human beings um, who are going to be on this conversation with us, Prentice and Eddie Hemphill. And you hopefully have heard of them because if you've been listening to our <laughs> you work, you probably heard of them. We have quoted them. We've pointed to their work. We've pointed to things that they're up to. So one of the most unique aspects about these two is that they work together on a podcast as well. And I think that they're the only siblings we have like that in this whole series. Um, so Prentice is the host of the podcast Finding Our Way, and Eddie does everything to make the podcast happen uh, behind Aww. the scenes. And outside of that podcast, Prentice is a healer, an educator, um, a teacher around embodiment, and actually founded something called the Embodiment Institute last year. And I know Prentice from years of practice inside of Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity and Generative Somatics and spaces where we basically learn to be in our bodies. I actually met Eddie in such a space as well at the somatics training that we did in Hawaii. And Eddie is a deep, gifted creator. And this year you will have come across Eddie's work on Hallowed Ground, which was on freaking HBO Max. Um, ah! And anything that you're loving about cultural artifacts that are being made for Black movement right now, Eddie's fingerprints are probably on that. So I want to just shout these two out. I'm so grateful that y'all are joining us today. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. I just feel like those intros were... Uh, those are some of the best intros I've I've experienced. I don't know about you, Eddie. We're working on my resume after this. You know what I mean? That was yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let me write it for you. I, I love gassing people up. Um, you know, so welcome to the show. And the first thing we like to do is just all take a moment to land with each other and just check in. How are you right now today? Eddie, you want to start us off? Um, I feel good. You know, my I ran out of oat milk for my chai latte today. Uh, wow. So wait, you're living in L.A. is what you're telling I'm us. I'm very L.A. right now. <laughs> um, trying to make it happen. But we, we may do. And I think, you know, like my for me, the tea time in the morning is very important. We're on different time zones. Mm. Um, but it was it was good. The sun came through the window. Yeah, I can see I your can morning see. light. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's kind of hitting me. Thank you. I was going to burst into song, but I think we should keep moving. Uh, Prentice, <laughs> how are you right now today? I'm doing really well. I feel really sweet right now. I was a little bit nervous about this because I was telling you earlier that I'm usually in your seat 
on these podcast conversations. So to be in this seat is a little bit mm. nerve wracking, but I'm feeling really sweet right now. So thank you. Yay. How about you, Autumn? I am. Well, it's it's Friday at the end of the very first week of school of my kids being back in in person school. Um, and it has been like just a beautiful first week, um, very momentous and very positive for the most part. Um, my kids have come home each day and just crashed. They are so tired <laughs> from being back in school. Um, but um, yeah. and I'm tired because I'm having to adjust to a 7 a.m. wake up, which I haven't had to do in like a year and a half. Um, <laughs> so, wow. uh, so we're all we're all adapting um, to this new reality. But there's like a lot of readiness and excitement, positivity, um, and a lot of tenderness. A lot of tenderness happening in my home right now, um, and sweetness. One of my kids yeah. like came out as gay to their classmates at school on the first day of school. And like, it's just beautiful. It's just one of those moments as a parent where you're like, yes, <laughs> this is like what it is. This is what it is. You know, the the joy of like both watching yeah. your kids, you know, uncover themselves and name themselves and then like courageously name themselves to other people. Um, yeah, it's I've had a lot of moments like that just in the last, you know, 48 hours. Um, so <clears throat> it's, so even though I'm tired and like a lot of emotions running high, I, overall I'm feeling really joyful today. Mm. And I'm really sore cause I started taking an Aikido class and my 37 year old body is like, girl, what or what's happening? Um, <laughs> but we're not, we don't know those things, yet. <laughs> um, but it's, it's good. It's good pain. Adrian, how are you, my sweet sister? Um, well, I'm also really overjoyed about gay nibbling news. And um, overall, I, I keep saying I feel like I'm the happiest I've ever been. And that's true also right now today. Um, I feel like my life right now is really an ecstatic place um, inside of all the other, th I feel like I'm in touch with all emotions, right? Like it feels like I'm just standing in this place where I'm like, oh, every emotion is present and I'm in touch with all of it. And there's something really joyful about that state of connectedness. And um, my my fiction book came out um, a few days ago. And all of the, it actually we're in this really fun dance where like all of the official, like this is a newspaper or this is a you know, a place they have given really positive reviews. And then I have one negative review on Amazon and it's the only one. And it's kind but of, is it like a reader or is it like a, is it like no, a random it's person? Like a, it's like kind of a random person who was just like, I, I get copies of things to read, but it's also good news for me. Right. Cause part of the, part of the thing I think I experience in the world is people just being like, we love you so much. And it makes it hard to trust feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right it makes mm -hmm. it hard to trust that like you're actually hearing what's 
what's what people really think about things. Right. So I'm like, what I want with this book is to hopefully get a range of feedback, right? To have some people who are like, I really like it. And some people who are like, here's where you can grow. Because this is my first time doing it. And I want to be a student. And I want I want there to be places where I can grow, right? Mm. So that if you read my fiction in 20 years, I want it to feel markedly better than what you're reading right now. And I'm also grateful that I'm starting out with really good reviews from the industry. So yeah, uh, so it's been sweet. I'm 43 now, um, which is a blessing, a real blessing. I can feel the blessing of that every day. And I am a, a first grade teacher's boo, right? So <laughs> I wake up. Uh, right now we're kind of waking up around 545, 6. And I find it really good for my writer's life. Like, like excellent for my writer's life is I, I catch the wave. Like when she's up, I get go ahead and get up and I just see what is available, what wants to be written. And I, I write until usually like 10 or 11 before I turn to the world and do anything else. Um, and it's true. <laughs> like all the writers who are like, yeah, morning is really the best time. You know, it's like, it really is good before everyone else is kind of up and knocking at the door of your attention. Yeah. So um, all of it is is feeling really good. And Prentice and Eddie are two of my favorite people to get to spend time with. Um, and you're like my consistent favorite person. So, oh, <laughs> you know, oh, who you? <laughs> and I just want people to know um, <laughs> as you're listening that Prentice and Autumn are both Sagittarians. Um, and Eddie is a Gemini mm -hmm. and I'm a Virgo, as you all know. So mm -hmm. what we have here is, I think, a perfect situation for a very entertaining and excellent conversation where a lot of people feel that they're right. Um, so I'm just excited. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it might be the three most right feeling yeah. signs. I think in all the it might be. It could be. Because I think Aries and Leo act like they're right. Yeah, but they, they like the performance not. of correctness. You know, and I think Capricorn likes the like yeah. punishment that can come with correctness. But mm. I feel like, like we're actually mm -hmm. like no, but like deep down <laughs> in my marrow, I think I'm, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> you know. Anyway, I'm right. we'll get into all that. We'll get into all that. Mm. But I just wanted to like give mm -hmm. the audience a kind of like astrological guide, cartography, some situation for what's going to happen. So. Now that we're here, we've checked in. There's a lot to be mad about, as Solange reminded us. And there's a lot to be mad about. Exactly. Um, and so we like to have this section. We call it our flume of rage. Petty, angry. Flume of rage. 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 It's a place to just get some stuff off of our chest if there's something that's really troubling you, worrying you. And there's a lot right now. Um, Autumn, I wanted to start out with you because I, I think the thing that you're upset about is this really fantastic, <laughs> annoying thing that'll get us, get it, you know, just push the boat into yes. the water. So tell us. I, I'm definitely starting off with the like, um, maybe among the pettier things that one could be angry about right now. Um, it really captured my attention um, that uh, I saw this on social media, this announcement of a TV show called The Activist. Um, 
So if anyone's wondering, like, what is the difference between an organizer and activist? This show might be about to answer that question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Hosted by Usher, Priyanka Chopra, and Julianne Ho. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her last name, but I'm going to say Ho. (laughs) Um, And I'm just going to read the description that I... Huff. Like, well, I'm going to call her Ho. Anyway. Um, (laughs) I know I'm right. Julianne Ho. Um... (laughs) So uh, here's a description that I read on social yeah, just media. just read the whole thing. Um, activists go head to head in challenges to promote their causes with their success measured via online engagement, social metrics, and hosts' input. The three teams have one ultimate goal, to create impactful movements that amplify their message, drive action, and advance them to the, drumroll, G20 summit in Rome, Italy. No way. There. They will meet with world leaders in the hope of securing funding and awareness for their causes. The team that receives the largest commitment is celebrated as the overall winner at the finale, which will also feature musical performances by some of the world's most passionate artists. Honestly, I don't even know what to say about this. I do. (laughs) It's, it's, it's like um, it's like I stepped into a Philip yeah. K. Dick novel. Like that's yeah. what it feels like. The sort of like what would it? What would the ultimate commodification yes. of reality look like? Yes, you know <laughs> that's what it feels like. Well, and I'm just really shocked they didn't call it the philanthropist. Exactly. It's like who's really competing? I'm just like just call it the nonprofit industrial complex what? or something. Like I'm just like there's not. This is not a. <laughs> but also, I was very. I'm sad about this also because Priyanka is married to Nick, who is and a Virgo adorable. who I love. And generally, I I want to feel yeah. positively, but I was like, like y'all, who approved literally. this mess? Sorry to jump in on your flume. No, I'm just, I mean, I, I really, all, the, all I came prepared with was just reading that because I feel like it kind of stands alone <laughs> as, yeah. <laughs> as a standalone. Um, yeah, I just, it's... Um, you know, I I don't tend to get too um, involved in or worked up over like critiques of co-optation inside of our social movements. And part of that reason is, and Adrian, you and I have talked about this on the show before, that, you know, I, I tend to take more of that zoom out approach where I'm looking at it and I'm like, hey, you know, many of us are using these digital platforms that are designed to commodify content to promote and to promote our causes (laughs) and to organize, right? And one of the inevitable end results of using these platforms is the commodification of the work that we do. And that's, that's basically, in my mind, that is the cost. That's like the, that's one of the ROIs, whether we want it or not, right? Is like, um, and so it, it, to me, it usually doesn't make sense to get too worked up over like people commodifying the work that we do. It's like, if you don't want your work to be commodified, don't use a digital platform that does exactly that. Right. Our listeners will like, they know, everyone knows I feel this way. Cause I say it all the everyone time. Everyone knows this. this Everybody knows this. I'm like, let's have different networks. <laughs> let's have different platforms that don't exist to do this. But, but this feels kind of like beyond the pale you know it's one of those things where I I feel I feel it is it it is pretty egregious um and um yeah it it it, it's hard not to feel 
both personally offended, you know, as an organizer, um, and also not to feel this sense of just like, oh, the energy that slips away, you know, yeah. the, the energy and brilliance that slips away or is drained away from the like, you know, survival work that we have to be doing right now when people get caught up in this kind of way of mm. thinking or doing activism work. Um, so that was, that was something that pissed me off. Mm. I'll leave Thank it there. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Eddie or P. Got anything that you're feeling away about? I can jump in. Um, I'm feeling away. It's kind of a twofold way, which is I feel rageful and super disheartened, I think, in the last week or so about the abortion ban in Texas and how restrictive it is and how um, mm. how it's intended to create kind of vigilantes of community to police each other. I think that trend in particular is, is horrifying for me. I think the, the persistence of the need to control other people's bodies and birthing bodies in particular is, <clears throat> I don't know, it's just, it's a, it's such a horrible thing <laughs> and it feels so unnecessary. It feels, it, this is a choice that folks have engaged in since we could get pregnant. <laughs> this has always been about kind of choosing for our lives, for our health, what happens to our bodies. So I feel um, really disheartened by that. Um, the other piece that I feel, the other side of that, is that I also feel disheartened by how people use this as an opportunity to talk shit about Texas as a Texan. Um, because I, I saw earlier today someone posted something that says the the Lone Star and the Texas flag is a rating yep. of the state. And I saw that. I was like, uh -huh. this is the home of Prentice Hemphill, Beyonce, <laughs> and Lizzo, and us. And Eddie, were you born in Texas too? Every was, single person on this call, yeah. all of us are from Texas. Yeah. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Continue, Pete. Exactly. Continue. So, yes. I mean, I think that tendency we have towards um, just – I think when there's a story that we want to tell about the South, it really disappears so many people who are in the South, who have always been in the South, who were in Texas before it was Texas, before it was called Texas. I just think there's a disappearance of the people that make up these places and all the yep. the ways that people struggle and dream yep. and fight in those places. And also it's a, it's kind of a, it erases the fact that this ban was tried in 12 states before it passed in Texas. So this isn't just about um, Texas, but we, we really want to use that narrative, I think, is a, a really anti-South narrative that disappears the, you know, all the, all the folks that are doing good work and have been doing good work in Texas. So I, I feel rageful in multiple ways in these moments. And, you know, honestly, as somebody from Texas, I feel like I... I reserve the right to talk about my state, but I don't really like it when people talk about it. 
who are not from there. When I moved out of Texas, when I went away to college, I was like, oh, y'all hate Texas. Oh, people just talk, people talk shit easily about Texas. And I didn't, that was the first time I actually felt something like a pride in being from Texas. Cause I was just like, oh, it's people are like, oh, does everybody wear cowboy hats and belt buckles? I'm like, some people do, but there's actually is a lot going on in Texas that people don't know about or pay attention. And um, so I think that is what I'm feeling rageful about these days. Uh, all of that. I mean, it is what the second biggest state. Come on. It's huge. Like no way that everyone could be wearing the same outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a lot of horses for everybody to be riding. So <laughs> We have more horses and guns than people. Eddie, what's lighting your fire? Oh, um, I mean, that is definitely one thing um, that has been sitting with me and like, uh, you know, he already said it all, but like the insidiousness of like weaponizing certain people's tendency to be in your business, you know what I mean? Feels so mm-hmm. um, terrifying to me, um, but also enraging. Um, and, you know, having worked in like maternal child health and uh, around abortion rights for years under 45, I don't know if we still are, are doing that, but like it, it yes. really deeply forever. Um, can do it forever. Yeah. Yeah, it really deeply affects me. Um, or like, you know, it, it affects like uh, so many people that I love and so many people that, um, I, you know. Can I just say that Eddie has like, you know, he talked about working around abortion rights. Like he has been one of those people that has, um, I just feel like helped illuminate actually so much of what's going on around abortion for me on the national scale has come through actually my relationship with my brother. Cause that is something I think since you were a teenager, something you've been really clear about politically. So I just want to say that, but keep going. I'll get out of your plume. No, no, thank you. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I think it's, it's, it's moved through me. Like I had kind of found a way to not be constantly thinking about it, but it's like, now that we're, we're in it, it's, it's just the implications of, of like, you know, the strategy hasn't stopped for them. I feel like we may feel like we're kind of in a, in something different sometimes than we were a year ago, but it's like, um, that level of insidiousness is like only still bubbling. But, um, my actual one is, you know, an experience that I had yesterday. Um, so I went to the beach with my dog. I spent hours out there. Um, and I guess my like flume in that moment was just around like personal space. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was on an open beach, purposefully went at 2 PM and you know, this this collective of people like sat right next to me and it just made me, it was just like a feeling that I hadn't quite um, analyzed before, but I've experienced that where it's like just being unseen by certain people and like not being calculated into, uh, into that. And it's like, I think, yeah, I just, I wanna do some, I'm, I've moved through it, my Chai Chi help. Um, but yeah, I think that's just something that, um, 
I think we need to talk about is like I think some people actually don't see people of color in their day to day lives. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I and there's like an aggressive not seeing though, because it's like they wouldn't have yeah. come and sat down there totally, of all places totally. if they didn't see not see you. You know what I'm saying? It's like. Yeah. <laughs> See, not see. see. It's like, what is that? I mean, yeah, I, mm -hmm. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, I think we may have spoken about this, but I had a similar experience last year where I was at this like water park type thing (laughs) before the pandemic kicked off. I was in Italy and this group of people came and did that, just sat down right next. I found like this quiet, quiet place. And I was just like, oh, like you're drawn to me but you're also not able to see me. And what is that? Um, so my flume of rage, you know, the thing that I had, I wrote down as I was coming into this, I was like, is it about the, the abortion ban in Texas? Yes, but it's about the fact that it is distracting us from the thing that needs all of our collective attention right now, which is the climate catastrophes that are concurrently happening all over this country. And So it's like, there's not actually a crisis around abortion. There doesn't need to be any crisis around it. It doesn't need to be a conversation. It is a ridiculous thing to have this be a conversation. It is purely about power and control in a rape culture nation, which if it really cared anything about births would just be like, we are um, snipping a bunch of (laughs) um, other parts that had nothing to do with anything that's happening in a woman's body. And I saw something beautiful or in a birthing body. I saw something really beautiful that was sort of like um, how often and how frequently a person can get pregnant versus how often and how frequently someone can impregnate another. And it was like so clear that the the, the problem, <laughs> the place that you would want to staunch the flow of birth would be in those who can impregnate. What we would call um, upstream causes. Yes, just literally. <laughs> so that um, has me upset. And I had this little sidebar, little flurry of annoyance because people people are like, oh, it's like The Handmaid's Tale. And then people being like, oh, you think that's like The Handmaid's Tale? It's actually like what black women have dealt with forever. And I'm like, it's actually all of the above because yeah. what black women dealt with was under the system of slavery. And The Handmaid's Tale talks about a period where we have come forward to what seems like a forward, and then it gets taken back to that same slavery condition, but for white people and white feminists, right? I'm like, it's all of the above. It's what happened to black women. It's what happened in The Handmaid's Tale. And it's a nightmare, no matter what it is. And it's a nightmare that people are having to pay attention to instead of being able to pay attention to the fire, the floods, the hurricanes, the droughts, like mm-hmm. the the fact that Mother Earth is as violated as any other um, body that can create on this planet, right? Like that's the thing I keep thinking about is I'm like the violation is happening at the level of the planet and there is a response and a reaction. And I just can't stop thinking about how mm. hurt I feel like I feel hurt, like looking at the things that are happening with our climate and just being like, we were given this gorgeous, abundant place. And all we have to do is pay attention to it and listen to it and learn from it. And we'll have everything we need. And instead we attack it. We mistreat it. We pollute it. Um, So 
it it infuriates me the watching our attention wander and watching our attention just be lost. And then this isn't a rage thing, but it's something I want to put here, which is just because it's a strong feeling, um, mm. which is we lost an incredible cultural worker. Michael yeah. K. Williams um, was found and he's gone. And um, it breaks my heart. And I want to take a moment because what he was able to do on screens um, transformed my understanding of what was possible inside of a, a masculine body and a masculine being. Yeah. Um, the way he was able to hold, like, here's the masculinity that was trained into me and has been trained into so many of us. And then here's the tenderness and the longing and the loneliness and the struggle and the fight mm. and that it was all there in him. And I don't know that there's anyone else even close to him. And um, I was chatting with Dream and she was like, I feel like he's the Tupac. Like it's the cultural impact is so big. Like it's such a, it's such a huge cultural impact to lose someone like him. Um, and maybe if there's any anger in it, it's that I don't know that he knew how excellent he was to all of us. Like, yeah. I don't know that he knew that. And I, I really, I want him to know that. And I want all the actors who are, who are like, like excellent, <laughs> you know, all the cultural workers who are excellent to know how much they mean to us. Um, but I feel that I feel just uh, a grief there. So can I add uh, some to, to that? Yeah, Pete. It, it reminds me a little bit of a, our kind of text yesterday where I just felt like we don't necessarily take the time to breathe life into one another. I think yeah. uh, Way posted a, a video a week ago or so of a professor. She was speaking in someone's class and the professor just told her exactly what she saw in her and what she was giving to us mm. in her work. And I was like, that is a practice that I want to be in. That is the practice of generosity that I want to be in. Because what would it have taken for one of us or someone to tell him precisely what he was doing and yeah. what it opened up? And I'm, I'm saying, I'm not saying it didn't happen for him ever. Yeah. But for us to breathe life in the way that we are breathing it now, to do that regularly, I'm very, very curious about what gets in the way of us doing that for one another. And I think it can be often small things. It could, it's a, it could be just a simple gesture to say, I see you. Yes. And I see what you are offering and it feeds me and it feeds other people. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just feel really yeah. in that season right now. Like how do we do more and more of that? Um, and the impacts it would have, I think on each of our spirits to have someone breathe life into us that way. Yeah. You don't I, know who's mm -hmm. not getting it. You don't know who's not getting it. And I think sometimes we take it for granted also when someone is excellent. We're like, oh, they're ex they must know they're excellent. Like, they're so excellent. Like, they must know that. And what I know, mm -hmm. because I'm surrounded by excellent people, is that they don't know. They often are racked with guilt and shame and imposter syndrome. And, you know, capitalism messes us up. It makes it really hard for us to trust what we hear and to know from within what we're offering, like it does all that. So, and again, it's a distracting world. Like instead of getting to spend time on the miraculousness of our excellence, <laughs> we're spending time trying to survive basic things and trying to tell, explain how periods work and why 
stupid laws are stupid. And I mean, just like, you know, so it all gets tied in together. <laughs> and I just want to thank you all <laughs> for weaving us, weaving in the rage, weaving in the grief, weaving it all in with us. Um, here we are. And let's take a breath. So the prophet by Khalil Gibran talks about how our sorrow carves out the space for our joy. And in this moment, I feel like, you know, we've carved a little bit and now we get to fill that bowl up with some sibling joy. Um, Prentice and Eddie, y'all are such a beautiful pair. And what we want to know, just to start from, you know, the beginning um, and in whatever way you want to answer this is where y'all from where you home at we're from grand prairie texas so represent um represent grand prairie texas dalworth in particular you know what i'm saying oh gp <laughs> um yeah we are from grand prairie texas and it's an interesting thing because i was trying to you know it's not exactly rural it's not to me exactly a city um, and usually when I say that, people are like, oh, you're from a suburb. And I'm like, it's not exactly that either. It's, I guess it's more like, and it, maybe when I was coming up in the 80s, it's more like a town at that time. Um, there's like a main street with, you know, I don't know, two restaurants. And when I was coming up in the 80s, it had a soda fountain. You could go sit at the soda fountain in the back of the pharmacy and get an ice cream sundae like that. We have a, we had a five and dime store back then in the eighties still. So they still had a little bit of that like 1950s Texas feel, but we're from Grand Prairie and it, it also, you know, I talk about it too, as kind of like recently rural, like there are places, I don't know if Eddie, if you had that experience, but there are like places in Grand Prairie where people might still be riding a horse down the street even though there are paved roads. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that. And then I think the last thing I would say about where we're from is that now somewhat, I think it it catches a lot of the spillover from the growth of Dallas, um, the things that can't fit in Dallas or can't afford to build in Dallas. They'll do it in Grand Prairie. Um, but I don't think the the culture of Grand Prairie and what it is kind of as a town I think it's swallowed up by the Dallas and Fort Worth thing. Yeah, definitely. I think it, um, it, it you know, I don't know if we, we've talked, we haven't talked yet about our age difference, but uh, P and I are eight years apart. So oh, wow. um, I think it, when I was growing up, it definitely retained that town feeling. Um, but I think it's kind of like, where they put all the stuff that's going to either go to Dallas or Fort Worth. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's warehouses of um, things. And it's like, it's such a strange, I haven't really experienced a place quite like it. I know they exist, but it's like, it it very much feels like um, I might be in somebody's storage unit sometimes. It's like, it's (laughs) it's strange, but it's such a, I, I really love it. And I think it's like, that thing about Texas is is that there's so many kinds of people 
everywhere in in GP in a certain in particular way. Um, you know, I've met people who are like, I always like I'll take them back there and they'll be like, I always thought the train tracks thing was a was a joke or a metaphor, but it's it's so it's so literal there in that way where it's like um, there's a divide and always has been and um, but but still I think it's it's a magical place and one of my missions is like to figure out how to capture that. Mm. So knowing that there is an eight-year age difference between you. Um, that would sound to me like one of you, like some, both of you maybe, unless there are other siblings in the mix, maybe you had some of that only child experience. But tell us about your family. Like, are there other siblings in the mix? You know, what's your family structure? Uh, we have an older sibling. Um, I mean, we all are a pretty close unit. It's, it's, it's P, it's myself, it's Shell, it's our mother, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we check in quite a bit with each other. It's like that unit that has kind of carried forward throughout um, our lives. And, you know, our father was always close by. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's tough because it's like our um, eight years is a lot of time. So it's like I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to put two different time frames together. But um but yeah, it's like that, that. Those have kind of always been the players, and it's it's. Mm-hmm. And I think we've always kind of like learned from each other, taught each other, um, kind of been in each other's lives in in a in a particular way. And I think it's um, that's that's the through line, I guess. Yeah, because is sixteen is the spread. Sixteen years for the kids. So yeah, so it's like eight years between each of us. Yeah, my sister's wow. eight years older than me, and then I'm eight years older than Eddie. So there's a 16 year spread of kids. So that yes, is it's like really curious as a, a structure. Of, <laughs> there's a lot of time and space. Yeah, there's a couple generations in there. For sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, like he's saying, like I think we, like you know, when my sister was a teenager, she was really we shared a room, and she had all the like. She had like Big Daddy Kane and Kwame and Slick Rick and all the Spike Lee movies. Like our our room was covered floor to ceiling. On the ceiling, we had like, you know, I don't know, all types of hip hop and R&B singers that just decorated our room. And I thought she was so cool. And she showed me all of that stuff. And and. I annoyed her and, you know, her friends were cool and they come over and like make up dances and I would <laughs> try to annoy them. And, you know, it was just, uh, we had that relationship, but I learned so much from her about culture and, and everything, everything. And then, you know, when Eddie was coming up, he had both me and Shell that was like providing stuff, showing him stuff. And I think he has then in turn, showed us stuff and, and introduced, you know, our mother's very like, um, our mother listens to new music. She goes to concerts. She's like, she, Eddie got her into a white stripes phase. She likes bands. She likes, um, she, she's not, she's cool. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's, she's like, I think something that is like a common thread, I guess, is like, um, and tell me if, if you don't agree with this, P, but I think like, 
all of us are kind of like seekers of uh i i would say art i don't think everybody would say art um but i think everybody is um really interested in like experiencing um creative things and like talking about it sharing it like me and my you know me and shell text all the time about like movies music kind of the the gamut of things and um yeah i think that's kind of the the thing that our mom kind of instilled in in us is like seeking these creative things in a particular that's way. right yeah that's right and that feels like it kind of shifts the thing that we're really interested in next is actually about the political orientations of your family and i feel like that way of being a seeker is one one of the ways right that we show up a black seeker is a political condition i think um but i'd love to hear how you all would describe the political orientation you grew up inside of um if there was something explicit or if it was implicit I, I think for me it was like you know our dad was on the local city council um for a period of time and so i grew up going to city council meetings on thursday nights and seeing like how local decisions were made, local governance. And that I think instilled in me in a way, the sense that um, there was a way to have agency inside of your kind of local domain. You know, I, when we would, when the park was built in our community, in our black community, that was something that my dad had worked on in city council. So I saw a very real connection between the things that were happening and then how those decisions were getting made um, locally. I also, you know, I was writing about this recently. When I was coming up, uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday wasn't being celebrated in our um, school district. And my parents took me out of school. It, it was, I think Texas had passed it, but I don't know if our school district refused to acknowledge it or something. I have to get the details. But my parents took me out of school on that day, and we went marching in front of city hall in grand prairie and it was a small group of black folks that were marching in front of city hall and that was the day that i saw the kkk in real life and there were white folks that drove down the street wow. and called us all kinds of things and this is the 80s this is the late 80s at this point um and i went to school the next day and my teacher said where were you yesterday it wasn't a holiday and I said, I was celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. Day. You know, I was very defiant, but it was a it was a political stance I felt like I was taking at the time. And then um, so I felt like it wasn't it was it was kind of folded in the household. I think for me, I really became politicized. My sister had Malcolm X's autobiography on her bookshelf and I read it when I was 11 and then I took it to school every single day and put it on the edge of my desk because I was facing a lot of racism um, in class. So it was my shield and it gave me an orientation, a way to understand what I was dealing with in school um, as a black child, as a child that was perceived as a black girl. Um, it, it was, it could be a really hard place in that town at that time. Um, the other thing I will say, you were kind of relating it to, to music. I think our mother has, she's always been an eclectic person. So there was never a kind of rigidity to, that was that seeking, that was that curiosity. Um, my mom 
listens to classical. She listens to rock. She listens to hip hop. She listens to soul. Um, and it gave us a really mm-hmm. eclectic sense of the world. And it gave us, I think, honestly, I feel like I can understand a lot about different kinds of rhythms, different kinds of frameworks through how much I was exposed to music and culture um, through her. So I, it was kind of mm. like, there was the political orientation and there was a, a really wide cultural orientation and and a love of our people too. Because I, I know, I still have a book that my mom gave me in the seventh grade. It's called The Afro-Americans. And she wrote me this long note in the front of it that said like, we come from a beautiful people and this is some of our history. And I got that in the seventh grade, which was the same year that I started the black student group at our middle school. Um, And we celebrated Kwanzaa at Adams Middle School for the first time. You know what I'm saying? So that was like that, that kind of, it wasn't necessarily every day, but it, it, I definitely grew up with a sense of pride and a sense of history about who I am that I think has been the foundation for me and, and the work that I've done too. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, um, 100%. It's like, I, I remember all, it, it's interesting. Cause it's like, she definitely had a political orientation, but there was no name in a particular way. You know, it was just like, she did these things and moved in a, in a way that was, um, instilling history and like instilling like, a um, an ability to, to, to question, um, I remember one time I was in, I had to be in like a third grade or something. And um, we got an assignment about Nat Turner and my mom saw it and they were talking, they were calling him all kinds of like possessed and all these, these different things. And she read it and was like at school with me the next day and was like, this is not what you're going to be teaching my child. Um, And so I think that moment for me was like, oh, there's something, not all this information is trustworthy. And not all these people have my best interest in mind. Um, So I need to be able to be, I need to be able to discern. Um, And I think I need to be able to discern in a way that um, prioritizes Black people or like um, prioritizes the experience of Black people because I'm not going to necessarily get that from from these teachers. And I think, P, you also talked to to that conflict. And I think um, that conflict with, uh, teachers in Texas, I think that politicized me in a, in a particular way because people be talking wild, and I and I experienced that at such a young age. I was, you know, mm. I I was thinking back to nine eleven. Honestly, being I was in the sixth grade, and I I don't think I fully understood what was happening. But the fallout of that was just like open xenophobia in in classes from these teachers, and I was like something feels wrong here. Like I've, I've experienced this energy to like aimed at me, aimed at people who look like me from you. So I'm like, I, something is going on with this narrative or with this. And so I think that really led me to, to like investigate and to, um, to seek again, I guess, um, politically. Mm. It's such a this is such a good segue because we we our next question is about your process of politicization um, 
And knowing what y'all just talked about, I wonder maybe the way I would approach this question is like, you know, there's <clears throat> there's the sort of there's the automatic politicization that I think most black folks go through in a U.S. context. But I think there's that moment where you, you know, you sort of step into the river or you're in the river and you turn and you begin to swim. You know, the like, I'm, I'm choosing this, a path where I'm intentionally politicizing um, myself further or I'm intentionally engaging in, in justice work. And I'm wondering if y'all can talk about, about that moment for each of you and also again thinking about that age difference you know how that how much of that happened in concert with one another how much of it was distinct how much were you kind of pulling one another you know into the river um yeah i i think in a similar way to to my mother p was also somebody who was always kind of like sprinkling things for me to read and like things for me to to consume um and, you know, I think back to like, there was a really critical period where I had to be like 14, 15 or something. And P was in, in Oakland at this point. And um, I used to go visit and we used to have, you know, weeks, a couple weeks of me just being there in the summer. And it was like, um, Oakland in my mind became this place that was like, oh, there's, there is a place where people care and engage and like talk about these things that I care about and they dance and like it was it was like a weird kind of um like fantastical place in my mind sometimes when I would go back to Texas it's like I'm gonna be able to go next summer and like and experience these things and um yeah it was so I yeah I think it was a combination of just having people who um were helping to orient me in a certain way Oh, it's making my heart feel all kinds of things. Um, I think I'm going to end at that point. Cause I feel like there's a, there's, there's a, that time was really special for me. And, and that part of our relationship was really special for me. I think when I first kind of turned and began to engage was somewhat in college in that was the first time. I mean, I was very angry. I was very angry, but I didn't actually know that you could do anything with that. And then when I went to college, there were people that were organizing on campus. I think they were the Student Coalition for Action, and they were organizing around labor issues on campus. And I started kind of hanging out with them because I was like, oh, y'all are angry too. Y'all are like doing stuff. And all the stuff you're doing makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. But at the same time, <laughs> you're like getting results and doing things. Um, so I think that was my first introduction to organizing. And then after I left college, I, I went to Oakland and I went, I'm just going to be honest, I went really naively in a way. Um, I was with someone who wanted to go back to the West Coast. I didn't want to go home. Um, to Texas. And so I said, well, I want to go to Oakland because that's where the Black Panthers are from. I'm just going to be honest. That's what I, that was my decision making. Um, and so. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's a great reason. <laughs> just like, yeah. And I, you know, like, I've always loved history. That's always been my, that's what really carried me through was 
history books and and leaders in history. And I, it was college that kind of was like, that's happening now. That's not just happening then. Um, and so Oakland was that, you know, I was kind of going there because I felt, I was like, there are Panthers that are alive here that are doing work. And it brought me awake to this moment in a way. Um, and I started, I mean, when, as soon as I got there, I started organizing around um, uh, some of the jail expansion stuff and, and police funding stuff that was happening in Oakland. It was a really critical time. It was like 2004. And that was really when a lot of the push to put a lot of new housing and begin this wave of gentrification was really settling in. And they really want to invest in, um, you know, expensive housing downtown, the police department. And, and somehow, I don't even know, but this group of folks scooped me up and here I was knocking on doors and talking to people in Oakland about measure why, um, back in the day and saying, no, I measure why. And that was just like full on here I am organizing in a campaign. Um, so that, but I, I think, you know, it was important for me as I was learning and discovering to always, I would try to slip Eddie some books. Cause I felt like, you know, all of this stuff was new. I was learning. I, I was, things were unfolding for me. And I, I had wished that someone had slipped me some things to help orient me. And I also, yeah, just, I, I would like, it's funny to talk about. Cause I'd be like, I wonder how he feels about the fact that I'm giving him Asada's autobiography for his 15th you know he's like 15 it's Christmas and there's probably a lot of other things he'd prefer to get and I'm like hey this is cool um but he he always seemed receptive and open and and curious so that's and we connected through music and there was so much music at that time that was really helping me to understand the moment too so we got to share in that way but yeah Oakland shout out I love all of that. And I love it because it's so visceral. Like I I can see y'all in Oakland. Um, I can see the earnestness. I can see the longing. I can see how it felt like utopia. Um, you know, I think I landed there about two yeah. years later and it really was just a magical moment and a magical spot. And you know, there's so much sweetness between y'all and you actually work on a project together. So one of the questions we have is what feels really aligned about the work that you do day to day in the world right now? And are there places where the work diverges or feels very different? Um, and maybe even where the ideas that you're trying to move in the world feel very different. Could you share with us some things about that? Okay. Hmm. I feel like we're we're really aligned. You know, it's it's kind of it's emerging. We are learning. We're we're creating things together. It's like a year into creating this podcast together. And um I think that it is really easy to find the the same feel that we're going for. I think it's easy, you know, it's like when we play taboo or something like that, it's easy for us to know what the word is that the other is meaning. Like we can find each other, I think, in, in those creative spaces. Like don't play us in taboo. Don't play none of our family in a trivia game. We okay. can catch the wave. Um, and I think he and I can catch the creative wave on the podcast. Like what do we think is the most effective? Where are we trying to go? Um, I think pushing uh, 
pushing the, I'm trying not to sound cliche, but like pushing culture forward um, and being experimental and creative about black culture. And I, I think that we really vibe there. It's like, what's the edge? What's next? What's next? What's next? Um, and places where it diverges, I mean, I mostly just think about, it's less like in the content, it's just more in the focus of things. Like, I, I think Eddie is, I'm really excited for the things that will come from Eddie. I was just talking about him in the course that I was teaching last week about his ability to uh, understand the multidimensionality of the universe, for example. Which, that's one example of the complexity of his mind. And I think his ability to kind of really draw people into a world and some of the film work he's done. It's just like, you're like, oh, this is a, a space where time moves differently, where objects have a different quality to them. He can think in that way. And I am probably very, you know, I'm, I'm into the body. I'm into transformation and time moving differently, but through a visceral experience. I think some of it is just our focus. Like he plays music and I dance. It's they're related to each other, but it's like looking at each other from a different side of a thing. So I think that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with all of that. Um, I do dance as well. I will say that. Um, <laughs> my bad, my bad. Okay. But yes, I, I do play music. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it's, it's interesting to, you know, I think it's something I've always felt which was like, I think where we align is is at the point where we diverge. I think that's what what you're saying is like. Um, I think I've always felt like, oh, if we if we put our heads together um, officially, I think we can make something and really um, support each other and. Um, you know, I, it's not filling any kind of gaps. It's like just compliment in a certain way. Um, and, and I think, I think we've really always been aligned on, you know, subject matter. And just like that, uh, like P said, like the, the experimentation, um, with, with what's represented for black people. And, um, I think that's always, the foundation um but yeah i think i think sometimes i i, I do like to operate in space and, and p is very grounded is, is you know so um so i but i think you know the universe is made up of all those things at once so i think that's why it's why it's worked when i was in my probably mid to early 20s and he was a teenager we made a video we made a wind beneath our wing, my wings video. We did a whole music video to this, he and I. And he like lifted me up in the sky and like turned me around kind of thing. Amazing. But it was, I think it, I really think we were communicating with each other about just like this energy that we're talking about where we can really vibe. We did a whole Bette Midler, wind beneath my wings video. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh my and God. 
that <laughs> fills me with joy. I mean, and Gemini is literally the wind. So it's like. <laughs> Sagittarian is a centaur. Do I have wings? No. 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 No, no but arrow. you do have an arrow. Okay. There you go. I have an arrow. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Okay. Um, I we I want to we want to respect y'all's time. We have one last question for the interview portion, um, which is: What is something that you think or you would like the world to know about your sibling? I mean, I'll, uh, I think like that kind of excruciating example is like. Uh, what what I think people don't know is like there's a there's a very goofy side and there's like a like a um, you know it be in there and it's it's I don't think it's I think people look for a certain thing from P that um, there's a lot more and I think that there's a lot of uh, very funny and very very silly silliness yeah I think I am as silly as I am serious um, maybe more. I think about Eddie, um, I think that he is very kind and thoughtful. I think he really considers people, um, considers his impact, considers people's feelings. I think he really considers in a way that has taught me, like, I remember back in the day I would say something and he'd be like, that's actually not okay <laughs> what you're saying right now. Um, and he, yeah, he just, there's a lot of heart to him and it's, it's really palpable. Um, but also, you know, I think just like me, don't, uh, don't, he don't play also when the time comes, he's serious business. Wow. Thank y'all so much. Um, it's really beautiful to be in the conversation with you to learn a little bit more about you and to see the the waves moving between you, you know, like it really feels like, oh yeah, like y'all are moving in the same direction and there's so much parallel and there's so much, the distinctions are beautiful. Like I, I think of like dolphins, you know, jumping and playing around each other where it's like, yes, we're distinct, but, but the dance is one dance, you know? And you can both dance, obviously. So, um, so total dolphins, and I think that this brings us right home into top culture, um, dancing, music, y'all. So, <laughs> what we want to ask folks is basically, what are the um, aspects, artifacts of pop culture that are helping you survive right now? And it can be current, it can be ancient. Um, it could be from five years ago, which is, you know, everyone has a range of like where they're tuned into, um, but you get to share some examples. And I have a lot of them this time because we've been away and I've been consuming a lot of cultural things, cultural artifacts. But um, so I can either go first and share my tons of things or I could go last to make sure each of you get a chance <laughs> to share things as well. Pop culture. Oh, wow. I'm going to be out of my depth here. Um, you know, one thing, so last week was like a couple disappointments in, in pop culture, disappointments in like people and what they produced. Um, Eddie and I talked about this in the, in the Kanye and Drake situation that happened. 
just like the decision, the poor decision making on their parts. I don't really understand why, why these things are happening. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, but why? That's what Eddie and I were talking about with like Drake and giving like sampling R. Kelly. It's like, but why? Well, why would you do that? Um, yeah, so disappointing. So that felt disappointing. Like, but no. then at the same time, Eddie introduced me to the. I think it was the day after the Baby Keem and, and Kendrick Lamar song dropped. Um, and I was like, oh, this actually feels like there are good things still happening <laughs> in the world and good music still being produced. And so I felt really excited about that. So I will say that, that there's Kendrick is back. That makes me excited. And uh, yeah. Well, um, our listeners are like really accustomed to me being like the, you know, um, like always a, like late <laughs> arrival to a thing. So I have two things. One is music. One is TV. Um, the music is so in the last I wouldn't say that this this is not recent for me. But in the last couple of years, I finally discovered the artist Blood Orange. Wow. Um, and just am in total adoration with the 2013 album, Cupid Deluxe. <laughs> but that song, that one of the songs off that album, It Is What It Is, I feel like has been, um, it's been one of the songs that I keep returning to in the last, particularly in the last eight months. Um, as I, it's like been my, no, I wouldn't say anthem, but it's been like kind of the drumbeat of this part of the <laughs> pandemic. Um, and that's been really helpful. So if anyone like me in the world doesn't already know who this artist is <laughs> or hadn't yet discovered them, um, join me, join me on the late train. Um, and then TV. I recently, um, while I was on vacation, I consumed the entirety of this Amazon original TV show called The Wilds about this group of like teenage girls who get like dropped into a survival situation against their consent. And they're like on an island and don't know each other and having to like <laughs> navigate social dynamics, attraction, hunger, um, sharks. trauma but being a teenage girl that was the real living hell it's like a whole <laughs> it's a whole situation and it's so fun and intense and like just and yeah really well acted really 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 a lot of fun um so yeah survival scenario plus like reality TV feels, you know what I mean? But like, but it's a drama, you know, so it's really well directed. Um, yeah. Highly recommend The Wilds and Blood Orange. All right, Eddie, passing it to you. It's so funny. I met I met him one time, Dev Hines, and he is like the nicest human being. Oh, yay. Like he, like. Love that is that so happens. awesome to hear. Like, my, like I was just thinking about it the other day. Like the picture came up. I was like, man, I've never met somebody who's just like so warm in a certain way um but uh yeah so i i think my my music stuff is hard because i'd i'd be all over the place all the time um but i've been like watching this matrix trailer like five times in a row and been discussing it with everyone and it's like oh my god it might be terrible 
but I'm like so deeply excited to see it again and to like pretend like two and three aren't terrible. You know, like I'm I'm I'm, I'm fully committed. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. I'm really curious too because um, the actor who plays Candyman is in this one, and I have just recently like been I loved him in Candyman, which maybe that's one of my top cultures. But um, I want to say it's Yao. Hold on, Yaha Yawa. Um, Did you watch Watchmen? Oh yeah, and he was incredible in the Watchmen. So oh. I'm like this person so whose good. name I'm forgetting, but I'm just like that guy who's super hot and super brilliant and super excellent that guy <laughs> that's really good that's a really good top culture eddie thank you yeah that's an excellent one do you have one music thing well i was just gonna say i've been like leaning on like my 90s brit pop stuff i've been listening to echo belly their first record a lot yeah it's, wow it's moving through me Good. I love that. Taking it back. Well, back. in the taking it back zone, Aaliyah's entire catalog is now finally rel- relinquished right. from the holds, the strangleholds that it's been in for decades. And what a we drama. actually get to listen to it now. So um, I was like building out my faves, play, like my own little personal playlist on there. And I'm one of the people who I'm like, I've had all the CDs, you know, so I'm like, I could listen to Aaliyah. And I no longer had the the a way to listen to <laughs> I had the CDs but not a CD player or but nothing to play <laughs> nothing to play it on so I just like I still have it and theoretically I could listen if I could somehow find a device anyway so I'm really grateful that we can listen to Aaliyah um I want to point people towards two I think newer things that are out one is James Blake has done a cover of Godspeed that is exquisite uh Frank Ocean's Godspeed and it's just like a shocking, <laughs> like we, Nalo and I had a date night, a painting date night that she set up for us. And we list, we put on music and that song came on first. And I think we just put it on repeat for like an hour. It's so beautiful. I will always love you. How I do. I'll let go of a prayer for and then Charlotte Day Wilson, I think that's her name. Charlotte Day Wilson has a new album out. Um, I've liked her in the past, and the new album is beautiful. Mood, like you can just set it on. On the radio, it'll be great. Um, Bachelor in Paradise this season is quite entertaining <laughs> and there might actually be some accountability for some shady behaviors. Um, so I'm I just, so glad Adrian, that, that you are now, tracking so that the rest of us don't have to. <laughs> I track it. I track it. So like, there's bad seasons. I don't want you to mess with those, but this season it's kind of, it's kind of fun right now. Um, and then the last thing is actually a super throwback, but the song Aquarius slash let the sunshine in, um, it, it's, it plays a major role in the summer of soul movie that, um, Questlove put out this past summer and listening to the song again, it's been a long time, but it was like, Oh, we're in this, like, this is the this. age we're in. This is the age we're in. And it just, 
It really felt, and it brings my spirits up mm-hmm. every time I hear it. Like if I'm, whatever is going on in the world, there's something I put it on and I'm just like, let the sun shine. And it's just like, just, oh, that's right. I just have to let the sun shine in. Like that's right. my job right. right now. Cause we are at the dawning of the age of Aquarius and we have been for my whole 40 years of being alive. And that's what's up, you know? Exactly. So yes. I just want to point people back towards that song. If, if people are wondering like, why is it so hard? It's cause our whole generation is responsible for the turning of the wheel right now. That's why for it's the hard. turning of the wheel of the entire future. <laughs> it's not so, just you. No big- it's our whole generation. <laughs> Yes. Our whole generation and multiple. And then we all need to like have a good soundtrack for that. Yes. So like start your day with it. I highly recommend. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. That's such an important song for my childhood. So really? Yeah, I, I, it is. I love I that, Eddie. Yeah. I like I, mine too. Like I feel like there's phase. I've had phases of my life. It's also a really important song from like my political awakening period, mm. like post-college, where it's just like that to me was the age that I was like, why wasn't I born so that I would have been this age then? I don't understand. (laughs) Like I was so upset by it. Now I understand. But anyway, the song still works. Beautiful. Eddie Prentice, thank you so much for having the, for having this conversation with us, for the vulnerability you both shared. Y'all are such incredible humans. Um, We're so grateful for the work you're doing in the world. We want everyone in our podcast to go and listen to every episode of finding our way. Um, watch Hallowed Ground, check out the Embodiment Institute, and we're going to sign off now. Y'all, this is so fun. It's such a great idea to have siblings do this. I feel so honored that we were invited. And, you know, I'm grateful to Eddie. I feel like we get to keep learning about ourselves as siblings and creators together. And um, I just appreciate you. Thank y'all so Thank much. This was, this was wonderful. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredible thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're an iPhone person, thank you. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the one and only Zach Rosen. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg. And our show is transcribed by the incredible Jess. 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 All right.